Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 69. We're going to talk about remote access. How yep. you doing, Jay? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good, good. We were, uh, you know, we started the show just a couple minutes late because we were still going over. There's so many good remote access tools out there, um, and some of the choices are confusing. So we're going to hopefully offer a few solutions out there and talk about some of the security around them. Uh, we want to make sure people think and are mindfully if they're going to be using this outside of their home lab. But uh, this has been a fun topic. There's so many of them. And this may be even a topic we revisit to dive into any one specific one of these in the future. Because boy, there's mm -hmm. the more I started digging into it, but there's just a lot of different ways to handle this. That's why we're hoping to bring it down a little to give you some choices, uh, give you some ideas and uh, find some new tools to play with. But before we do yep. that, we want to thank a sponsor of the show, and that is Linode. And uh, for some of these apps, you will want to host them in the cloud to give you and broker access between different machines. And Linode is a great place to host that. They've been sponsoring the Home Lab Show since the beginning. They've been a great sponsor of the show, and they're a great tool for home labbers to use to test out things, try their marketplace, get things spun up fast, do some project learning on someone else's servers where you may want to publicly expose things, but not publicly expose your own servers. And of course, some of these remote access tools, this is going to be pretty relevant because you're going to want to host this somewhere else, uh, especially one of them I'm going to mention to help provide remote support. Well, having that external is going to be kind of a cool place to have it, such as Linode. So we have an offer code down in the description below to get you started with Linode. We thank them for a sponsor show. And let's talk about remote access. Yep. Let's talk about remote access. And, and to your point earlier, I mean, you weren't kidding when you said that there's a bunch of solutions. I just want to give the disclaimer. We cannot possibly cover or even, you know, you know, mention all of them because there's just too many of them. So I know we're going to get a flood of comments about what about this? What about that? Trust me. We know we've been looking around and there's no shortage of solutions. Yeah. Um, the thing I want to preface all of this with, because some of these tools require you to open some ports if you want to manage things remotely. Obviously, within your home lab, no big deal. Just make sure the devices are on networks that, by which they have rules or on the same subnet that they can talk to each other. But once you start exposing these externally, you increase your threat surface. Uh, a lot of these tools we talk about here may or may not have gone through rigorous security review. Uh, I, I remember, and there's one of the tools that um, I've seen someone mention, I forgot the name of it already. This is not in my list because the project maintainer uh, got a job and they dropped it. And because of that, there's not been any updates for several years. So nobody knows. And people sometimes will conflate. Well, no one's pointed out any security flaws in this product for a while. That just means probably no one found one, no one's looking, or maybe they did find one and no one reported it because there's not a proper package maintainer to let anybody know. This happens a lot in different products. So just take that uh, when you're thinking about any of these products, if you're going to deploy these, what is your threat risk that comes with it? Should you be running this all behind a VPN? That's generally my recommendation, especially for home lab people. Um, and unless the company has a public facing, they tell you we're actively developed and we are actively going through regular security review and testing. Um, really just be cautious before you load some of these remote access tools on there. As I said, much okay. less of a risk if you have it in your home lab, but I just want to get that out of the way. So I don't have to mention it with each product. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Do your due diligence when it comes to uh, vetting these. I mean, we are telling you what's out there. We did not do a code audit. Yeah. I make that clear. And neither, I don't think neither me or Jay are qualified to do full application pen testing. So no, don't I, have I, to. That, I'm, I'm good at many things, but that's not one of them. So. It's a it is a special skill to be able to do that. It's a lot of work. Yeah. 
It is. All right. What's the first protocol we should talk about or first software? Well, I think the first thing we should talk about is just some best practice. And I hate the word best practice. I'm still looking for a an alternative because there's no such thing as the best practice. Mm -hmm. the best practice means like you're unhackable, which isn't going to happen. But, yeah. um, you know, for, for example, don't make things publicly available just because you can and just because it's easy. If you have, even if you use one of the things that we're about to mention, via VPN or, or through a VPN tunnel, that's better. Um, I, yeah. I know that's another step. And some people just love having things remotely available. I would love that too, if you could actually do that without it being a potential risk. And there's no way to do that without it being a potential risk. So make sure you're paying attention to um, capabilities for lateral movement. If someone was to get into the machine, um, you know, make sure that it's only available via VPN or whatever your solution might be. Um, remote access, it, it gives you remote access and you really need to, you know, yeah. take advantage of the solutions. I think the best way to handle this is always to have just, you know, multiple things in front of it. And sure, that's not really convenient, but I think it was Steve Gibson on Security Now that said uh, convenience is the enemy of security. And that's very yeah. true. It's very so true. Keep that in, yeah, keep that in mind. So I think the best um, analogy here for anybody that's seen the show Get Smart, which is one of my favorite shows of all time i think it was like the 60s or early 70s awesome show in every episode in the intro um maxwell smart is going through door after door after door and there's vaults and then all these secret entries that's exactly the analogy to use when you make something remotely available you have to have some things in front of it to to secure it because yes. you want to make sure you're doing the right thing absolutely so the two common ports are going to be 22 for ssh and yep. 883389 uh, eight, sorry uh, for RDP please correct me in the comments if I'm wrong as I know people will <laughs> but that's something about that doesn't I don't know I don't know about that maybe yeah. I don't use it enough it's either right and I don't use it enough or it's not right yeah I don't use RDP very often either commercially I'll get that out of the way if, if people are wondering um, I've been using a tool called connectwise control for my commercial business um, so that is just to clarify that people always ask, well, do you use any of these in production, Tom? Uh, no, we use a commercially supported products. It offers us a lot of other convenience. All right, moving on to the fun products that you should use. Do you have a, do you have a punch order list or should I just start? I, I don't, but I mean, one thing that I could just throw out there is X to go because I, that's the um, first one on my tab that I had. Broken really? really <laughs> okay. Because that one it has some additional features that actually you were the one that uh, taught me about it actually. Um, but let's back up a little bit. So X2Go has been the best for me that I've used personally so far. And I'll uh, let you know what I why I say so far later on. But X2Go has a server component and also a client component. So you can uh, remote into whatever server as long as it's running the X2Go server and it's available from the client. And if I remember correctly, you still have to add a um, repository for the server component, but I think the client is built in. It's been a little while because here's my problem. I'm always home. And especially, you know, since the pandemic started, I kind of, you know, was stuck in the office and then I got used to it, I guess. I'm, I need to get out of the house more and test these things out because over 10 gig, I mean, everything's going to work pretty fast over 10 gig here locally. But X2Go, it just works so well. Yes. And then there's that additional option where you can expose an application. So you don't have to show an entire desktop. You could actually just bring up Firefox and it'll look like it's a native app, but it's actually running 
from the X2Go server, or you could expose the entire desktop and, and control it. And what I was doing before I switched editing softwares is I would have a server with a bunch of cores that would have sync thing installed on it. And it would sync my video files and my Caden Live back when I was using it, it would sync its project files over there. So I'd edit the video on my desktop. And this is before I had a really good desktop. Then I would just um, you know, expose Caden Live, but it's running on that server. And since sync thing has all the files in the project files, I just open up the project file, hit the render button, and it's rendering the video. And then since it's again sync thing, the final video will sync back to my computer. And then I upload it. And I did that over X2Go. By simply exposing Caden Live only, I didn't care about the whole desktop. So it's up to you if you if you want to see the entire desktop and have an application menu, or if you just want the application itself. Yes, and I've done a few videos on Xico getting started with it. The good news is it's built into most Linux distributions. You have to use, as far as I know, I don't think there's well, maybe someone can hack it together, but for the most part, it expects a Windows. Uh, I'm sorry, a Linux server or you know your linux desktop to be the server mm -hmm. that can either a serve up the application serve up the desktop so as jay said you can use it actually can find kind of a novel feature is you can even uh, take a browser and publish that as an application and then on the client side you can use a linux client or you can be your windows computer so either one of those yep. work from the client side of x2go so the initiating the connection to those other devices you're able to use that once again it's a free download and there's no way the client side is really simple it's just a little app that runs that you know you point it towards x2go now one of the things nice is when you're using it linux server and client because it can use uh, it's using SSH as a transport layer. So you don't have to worry about any extra layers of encryption or how they implemented the encryption X to go. It's transporting everything over SSH. So if you have a system that you've already got your SSH keys all configured and set up on uh, X to go, the client can go, oh, okay, I can attach to devices um, to grab those applications and bring them over or grab the desktop and bring it over and the sound and do that just via SSH key. So it does make it fairly simple. So if you've already taken the time to build out your SSH keys, added passwords to your SSH keys, as we've talked about before, you're relying on that level of authentication and then you're there at the desktop. I've also showed this works reasonably well on a Raspberry Pi 4, so it's not super intensive. Uh, I've done an example of doing it with like Kali Linux. So let's say you wanted to have a Kali Linux system and you're doing some testing, but you want to have it on another network and you want to be able to get to the desktop, not just SSH into Kali. Uh, it's nice because you can use all the UI tools that way where the device is local, even on something as simple as a Raspberry Pi. So X2Go is definitely for getting Linux desktops somewhere else, hands down, one of the best apps I've seen for doing it. It's easy to use, easy to set up. Um, there are certain limitations, I think, and it easy enough to do. I, I commented this in my videos, tutorials I have on X2Go. You want to make sure you choose the desktop that works better uh, for right. it. Um, the desktop, uh, what's the desktop that Linux Mint uses? Um, well, I was going to say uh, an alternate um, recommendation. Well, actually, the primary desktop is Cinnamon, but they also have a Mate version. Um, Cinnamon and Mate both work the best with it. Oh, I didn't know about Cinnamon because I thought that Cinnamon required graphical capabilities. Mate, Mate works really well. I thought it, Cinnamon it worked with it too, but I know Mate. Mate is hands down. I thought Cinnamon would work with it as well. Um, it's it been might. a little bit since yeah. I tested it with that. Pretty much I just go with the Mate desktop because it, it transports well. That's one of the features you get is you can choose different desktop environments. And those desktop environments don't have to be the same as the one like when you're sitting directly at it. So your laptop can be right. using the desktop environment of your choice, but then you can also load in the background on 
different like Mate or even, you know, XFCE, the simpler the desktop environment is probably going to be better. And the reason yep. for that is you just have less animations and graphics to bring over. So you have a better user experience doing it. Yeah, I'm a little nervous recommending Cinnamon, although they could have fixed it. But since, um, you know, there's a lot of it's, it's not I'm not going to say it's a heavy desktop environment, but it does heavily use the video card, whereas, you know, Mate can, but they literally can detect. I mean, Mate itself is configured to detect if it's running in a remote desktop and it'll be able to change its interface to match that. One example of this is, let's say you give access to your remote desktop to a family member or a colleague or something. Um, and you don't, you don't want them to shut it down. Um, right. You know, on a desktop, you have a shutdown button, but it'll literally change the shutdown button to a logout button instead yes. because it knows it's in a remote desktop. And I think that's just so clever. So that's usually the reason why it's the first I recommend for this particular purpose. Yeah. Um, so next one I want to bring up now I have not done extensive testing with it, but I got to admit it's pretty slick and pretty basic to get set up. Uh, and that's going to be rust desk and rust desk is more, and I like it now it's become popular enough that if you type in like open source team viewer replacement, um, which of course that's what their title reads. It says a remote desktop software, the open source team viewer alternative uh, works out of the box, no configuration required, full control of your data, no concerns about security. You can use your public uh, relay servers or self-hosting in your own cloud. So they got a pretty lightweight, simple system. Um, I have not gone through to see what level of uh, security vetting auditing it's done as far as like how they do the transport layers, but it's pretty slick. And if you're just using it even for some basic quick access to things, I think it's a kind of a neat option out there. Um, okay. The Rust desk has been around uh, for at least a little while. And I, it seems to have grown really popular very quickly. I think it's kind of that ease of use, simple deployment, uh, decent documentation, and a pretty clean website. Like all the right, all the right factors. It wasn't, it, it wasn't like it takes you ten hours of poking at it to try to get it set up. They even have um, Docker containers. They have a like a one line installer to get it started. So they got some pretty easy ways to get going with it. Um, and there's a YouTube channel called Awesome Open Source. As a matter of fact. To my knowledge, they're the only ones who's done. They've done two videos on Rust Desk, uh, but those tutorials are uh, longer and in depth of every little detail of setting it up and security uh, and how to set up different keys with it. Because there's a couple ways you there's a couple ways you can implement the way the security works on there. But it seems a pretty complete application, and it supports both Linux and Windows either way for client or server. So you can get remote access to Windows computers. You can get access to Linux ones. I, I thought it was a pretty slick looking tool. I was uh, impressed with it. I watched that op awesome open source video. I didn't watch all of it in detail for those of you wondering in case there's some detail I overlooked, but uh, definitely worth checking out. That video is pretty complete. It seems it's all broken down step-by-step step of how to get it running. Yeah, I wonder how much of the popularity is due to the fact that it has Rust in the name, considering how popular that is nowadays. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> that could Possibly. be into. Awesome. Um, yeah, that one was a pretty neat one right there. Now, one of the other ones is going to be, and I believe our friend Christian, um, what is his, I forgot his YouTube channel name. It's, I'll, I'll pull it up in a second. I'll make sure it's in the link in the show notes. But he uses Teleport, and he uses it commercially for business. So, And Teleport's one of those pretty neat um, options for not just doing, and you heard that ding because I pulled up their website, 
because it's go to teleport.com is their new domain. I believe they had a different domain before when uh, I first started looking at them as a product. But they're actually go teleport.com. Oh, go teleport. You're right. Go teleport.com. There we go. Now, don't be scared that it has pricing up there. They do offer this as an enterprise option with full SLA agreements, but this system itself is free and open source. And I actually like the fact that when you click on pricing, uh, there's a download now option. Self-hosted, fully open source, GitHub SSO integration, and community support. I mean, community support kind of makes sense, you know, what mm -hmm. you're going to put on there. Now, Teleport is a bit more complicated setup, but gives you a lot of flex ability on there. Um, digital life, by the way. Digital life. Yes, that, yep. that digital life, right? I think is uh, the digital life. The digital yep. life. Yes. If you, the, the digital life teleport, he's got a couple tutorials on it. But one of the cool things about teleport, the good and bad, it has an agent that bothers me a little bit. But if you want that extended functionality that teleport offers, I get how the uh, agent really plays into this. It's not just for brokering connections for SSH. It is also for full audit logging of those connections. It is good for uh, web applications and having those essentially, it's like a reverse proxy. So you can set this up to all your different apps. And now you have, and you can set this up so you can access it remotely when you're not in your home lab too. They've done a good job of making it really easy to go through, set up things like your Grafana, your dashboards, your web logins for many different things. Then Teleport can go talk to each of those, provide essentially a reverse proxy for any of these. That reverse proxy then allows you to easily connect. And more importantly, especially from the business standpoint and why he mentioned like commercial use of this, is it has full audit logging everything that was done. Now, this actually has a couple effects. One, it's really good if you're running a business to have full audit logging of people and what they did. What do you think about that, Jay? When How much, how important is logging when you're, we're managing uh, other Linux technicians? Would you love to know every command they typed I, and how they got there? I mean, <laughs> logging is like everything. It's absolutely everything. <laughs> and this, uh, one of the things this will do is have audit trails for all the commands they type. Now, especially for home lab, people are like, well, I'm the one typing the command. Is that a big deal? Yes, because how many of you actually have a list of all the commands you type to get somewhere? Being able to replay some of that, I think it's just a really neat feature. And it's a good learning feature because mm -hmm. when you go through and set something up, you can watch yourself and all the iterations and all the things you typed on there. It also creates a nice central place to have all of your logins. So if you have a dozen machines that you're managing, some in a mixed environment, Having that in there and log in and go, all right, I logged into this server here at this time. I logged to this server this time. Here's the commands I typed. Um, that's just kind of a nice feature that they have for all that. I think I think Teleport's yeah. a pretty slick system and being fully open source um, is awesome. And being supported by a business use case means I don't think someone's going to get another job and just drop the project. That's I, I like open source projects that, hey, here's all the code. By the way, we have a um, SLA agreements and full service and support you can get on this side of the house, which is actually really cool yeah i like that model as well it um is is you know you could use it or you could you know at your company also use it and get a support agreement so everybody yeah wins. yeah everybody wins and it's just kind of a neat tool to be able to have I, I haven't dug into setting up the reverse proxy but he has a video talking about that so christian's video on if you type in like I said teleport and uh, the digital life he's got some he's got two good breakdown videos um, of it that go in depth on all, everything on there so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see definitely a video to check out and uh he's uh he's actually a friend of ours so you yeah know, shout out to him if he's actually listening yeah now have you used because i'll bring it up have you used apache guacamole 
Um, Jay? I have, but it's been a very, very long time. Um, if I remember correctly, it presents a remote, or actually it presents a desktop in your browser. Yeah, and it's so you can get Apache Guatemala is a clientless remote desktop gateway that supports standard protocols like VNC, RDP, and SSH. We call it clientless because no plugins or software required. Uh, thanks to HTML5, Guacamole is installed on a server. You need to access the desktop via web browser. So what it does is it brokers connections. It's kind of a go-between. So you're doing it within the browser. So now your Guacamole instance that you're accessing via your web browser, wherever you have this set up, you know, host internally. And then on the back end of Guacamole, you're telling it to connect to all the other devices. Now, it's kind of slick how that works. I've not actually used it. Um, you know, the biggest thing with my use case comes down to a lot of times, I just SSH into things. Now, I'm looking at, honestly, even internally for us, as we manage more Linux servers um, for clients, well, the requests are coming in to do so. I might use something like Teleport because it's going to give me all the logging and key management and things like that. But mm -hmm. the... You know, Guacamole seems like a pretty cool system. The fact that it supports RDP is uh, pretty slick. And it pivoting really on a little bit of the RDP, uh, did, when the latest GNOME now comes with RDP built in as well, doesn't it? It does. And it's right there in settings, which was interesting to me because, you know, I wasn't sure why um, the GNOME desktop would have went that direction. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they shouldn't support it because I know it's a real thing. It's super popular and, you know, pretty much every company uses it. And there's one, you know, it's one thing to support it and be able to connect to it. And also it, it kind of makes sense as we were talking earlier, because, um, you know, in a, in a mixed environment, if you're using a Windows computer, it, it is pretty cool. You could use RDP to get a GNOME desktop. But what's interesting is GNOME does not work well at all in any way, shape or form in a remote desktop. It's sluggish and barely even usable, in my opinion. I'm just going to be honest. So it was really interesting to me that they went that direction. Maybe the remote desktop version isn't um, as bad as maybe other solutions. Like, like GNOME really isn't for that in my opinion, but it is what it is. Um, it, there's just one thing between supporting it or allowing to be connected by it. And I would think a open source solution would have been the, um, or fully open source and not reverse engineered solution would have been the forefront for them. But I found that it, that to be interesting. But then, you know, I also have to um, understand that, you know, businesses are using it. It's super popular. So not supporting it, that wouldn't be a good idea either. Yeah, and it's kind of neat because then with Guacamole, with hopefully as it improves, it's been a while. Last time I tested any of the RDP, same thing. I my experience with attaching it on Linux was not wonderful, but nonetheless, I mean, as that improves, you'd be able to use Guacamole as a single point uh, internally mm -hmm. to do it. Now, I have not dug into, and if anyone wants to leave a comment um, as to why it's called Guacamole, so. <laughs> Because guacamole is um, yummy. Why else would it be called? I mean, I like guacamole, so I don't I don't have a problem with the name. I, you don't I like forget it, do you? Yeah. You remember it. Yeah, I remember Every it. Every time you go to a Mexican restaurant, it's like, I need to try out guacamole when I get you, home. Yes, yeah, that's how you help judge Mexican restaurants. You guys, it's the guac yep. and the sauce, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely that. So yeah, Apache Guacamole, I, I, it's supported by the Apache Foundation. So we know it's going to be around for a while. It seems to be quite well supported. Um, like anything, I really don't feel as though you should publicly expose this, but hey, it seems to be popular oh, definitely among the comments on here. Maybe one day I'll give it a try. I believe Jeff from Crafting Computing has a video where he talks about using Apache Guacamole as well. It might be a good solution too for um, internal use when, you, when you're you know at home and you're not accessing it remotely because 
one thought that I, I had is, it, you know, often when it comes to home lab, the uh, spouse factor could be a, well, a factor, right? So mm. um, Plex server stops working and you're at work or something, so you, you can't really fix it. I mean, how easy would it be to have somebody who's not technical at all, just tell them, go to this, you know, bookmark that I put in your browser and a desktop appears, double click on the icon that says restart Plex server, whatever, I'm just making up the scenario. And maybe that might be a use case because then it would just be easy for them to get in and click that icon and restart the media server or whatever you happen to use. Um, because sometimes, you know, un unfortunately, our home lab stuff, it just stops working. Like I just discovered I had a uh, issue with one of my 10 gig cards two days ago. And what, how long has it been since you switched me to 10 gig, like a year and all of a sudden it stops working. So Sometimes these things happen and maybe it makes sense just to have a desktop in the browser that someone at home can get to to restart a service if they have to. Yep. Um, next one on the list here. Now, this is pretty slick. And uh, rport.io, R-P-O-R-T.io, all these links that will be linked in there. Um, but that one is pretty slick because it is more than just remote access. It is a self-hosted self open source remote management solution for Windows and Linux, intuitive, easy-to-use management for remote access, script execution, VPN replacement, and much more. Now, it's really impressive what you can do with this. We got support for SSH, remote desktop, VNC, sorry, but Telnet's in there, <laughs> web-based user interfaces, and you can even do uh, TCP-based protocols like SMB, network printing, and HTTP APIs and web servers. Now, to go a step further, one of the other things you can do with this, once again, you're loading agents to make all this work, but the agents will monitor Windows and monitor um, Linux systems. This is really slick because now you can get like a constant heartbeat, execute commands, uh, build tunnels between them for connectivity. It's a pretty neat tool to consolidate all your servers again very similar to the way teleport handles it into a spot to do it um, i think this is really slick because you can also um execute commands see uptime for them uh, see the monitoring back and forth it, it reminds me in, in similar ways to what we refer to in the it msp services space um the rmm tool remote management monitoring tool that you commercially this has got a lot of features now it's not as full featured as some of the paid commercial tools but being that it's open source and self-hostable if you wanted to manage a lot of different servers on your lab this seems like a nice integration to be able to once again have one spot where you can essentially log in everything one web interface and both of these in back to teleport and this have strong authentication methods for they all have 2fa so even if you're using it internally because anytime you create a choke point where you're bringing everything down to one system to access it that choke point is obviously something you should protect dearly because oh, yeah. um, it is it is the key to all the kingdoms and i've seen people who will use the argument against these tools going well you're centralizing all the control to one place well you kind of need to do it so you only have one place to replace versus uh decentralizing the control where well i've all dispersed and it's hard to tell who logged into what when because i'm pulling logs and consolidating them all together and then trying to figure it out so it's not a bad thing to necessarily put all these in there into one place but it's important that anything that you do that with does have all of these different two factors on there so uh yep. this does support though um 
I thought this was all data stored encrypted disks connect up to 500 devices and unlimited current concession. I wasn't sure exactly because I didn't see any uh, commercial option. I don't know if the 500 was a limit or <laughs> um, exactly hmm. how that worked on there. I thought it was strange. I mean, I, I mean, you may have more than 500 things in your home lab on there, but I thought it was strange why they chose 500. <laughs> yeah. Give me some the marketing. It says up to 500. Well, what happens if, what happens if I have 501? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there's just so many solutions out there. And I can't believe that I forgot to mention Ramina earlier. Um, yes. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. That's just how I've been saying it. It's R-E-M-M-I-N-A, and it's an app. It's not in itself going to allow you to be, you know, your systems to be accessed remotely. But what I think it is great about it is that you could put your SSH connections in there, your remote desktop connections in one app and then just have, you know, one place to, to get to all those things. And I, I think it's a, a really awesome thing to have in general when you're actually, you know, accessing things remotely, even if remotely is that, you know, it's in the other room and you don't really want to go across the hall and into another room and, you know, attach a monitor, but um, you could actually have all those connections in one and it's available in, I don't think there's a single distribution of Linux that I haven't seen it for. I don't know if it works outside of Linux, but if you're working with Linux on your laptop or desktop, then it's um, you know quick mention. Just wanted to mention that it's not going to allow people to access your systems, but it allows you to access the things you already have access to. Yeah, there's another one someone mentioned in here, and I didn't know about it earlier today when I was just doing a couple extra notes. Um, it was early in the beginning of the show. Someone mentioned it. Well, while it's you're looking for that, I'll just mention one more. Um, I'm actually in the process of evaluating ThinLink right now, T-H-I-N-L-I-N-C. And I don't have like a final opinion yet because uh, basically, you know, full disclosure, the company reached out to me to sponsor my channel and, you know, I get a ton of sponsorship requests. I, I probably accept maybe like one out of 30 or something. Um, so I, I looked at this like I do anything else, just assuming it's BS until I um, actually get proven otherwise. And as I'm going through it, it's impressing me more and more because at first I'm like, well, does it support Linux? I get so many sponsorship requests where the product is not installable on Linux. And then I'll respond back like, you did look at the name of my channel before you sent this yeah. over to me, right? <laughs> um, which is always funny to me. Like it, like it's number one requirement. If it doesn't work on Linux, like my audience doesn't want it. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, so I look at it, and then they have it available on Platinum. The, the oh, okay. Oh, oh, like okay. Well, I think that might mean that they get Linux, and then I keep looking through it, and it, it just really impressed me so far. And I was just Googling, you know, Googling around, trying to see what the general consensus was. People seemed to enjoy it. Then I had a chance to test it out while I was on vacation. I set up a, a computer here just to be accessed, you know, basically a crap installation I didn't care about just to test it out. It worked fine. Uh, I had no problems at all. So the only thing that I would say I didn't, I, that I don't like so far is that it doesn't support Raspberry Pi as the device you're connecting to. My understanding, and I'm still looking into this, is that the client can be installed on a Raspberry Pi, but serving a Raspberry Pi desktop itself is not supported yet. But I'm, but I, then I, I saw a bug report on their GitHub page for it. So uh, apparently they're aware of that. 
And the reason why that bit me is because I set up a Raspberry Pi remote desktop to try this out on. And yeah, it didn't work for that, but it did work in all other cases. So I just wanted to throw out a mention and um, I have a little bit more to go. And if they pass all of my rigorous testing, then there'll be a sponsor. But so I guess if you see a sponsorship, I think there's like usually like a month delay in my content. So if you see like a month and a half from now, then that means it, uh, it got approved. If not, then it didn't. So yep, I'm going to throw that out there. Now, when Jay brought up the... R-E-M-M-I-N-A, Remina, Remania Remote Desktop. That's for uh, Linux. Yeah, Kumatata. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I, I, I know how to spell it, and I have to go to more conferences to figure out the common uh, lingual way to say things. That's actually true for all Linux things. Mm-hmm. Linux conferences teach us how to say things because when we just read them online, it's not the same. Um, but it's a, it supports RDP, VNC, SSH, uh, so which is great. But the other one, if you're running Windows and... This is not anything more than just a connection manager. So it's not necessarily a remote access tool, but it's a way to manage all your connections in one app. And that's mremoteng. So the website is mremoteng.org. And it is just basically a multi-remote manager that supports RDP, VNC, SSH, um, Telnet, and uh, our login, raw socket connections, and PowerShell remoting. Wow. So this is kind of a cool, yeah. Uh, our login and telnet are it's just like the um who's who of um expired connection types <laughs> yeah know, that's so hilarious i mean it's it's good that it i guess for the people that are using it but then why are people using it but you know what I, i'm sure they mean well and that's a lot of uh, different there's, things to connect well, to there. there's a lot of people and in, in if your task is an internal um sys admin and you have been provided a Windows desktop by which you are going to be working from. That is just the case in some yep. places. Um, this was a tool that will help you manage all those other devices. So you're loading it on Windows to be able to manage everything else. But I know, you know, as much as me and Jay are uh, Linux on the desktop for many years, I know not all of you are there or maybe the work conditions you are subjected to, which I don't know, is this cruel and unusual punishment forcing people to use Windows at work? I don't know. <laughs> I think it is because here's the analogy. Well, here's the analogy I used, right? So let's just say, for example, I randomly buy an auto mechanic facility. You know, there's a bunch of mechanics working there that fix cars. And as the new owner, I go on there, you know, you know, the location. And then I say, okay, starting tomorrow, you guys are all using this particular brand of tools. I'd be laughed right off the shop floor. They wouldn't tolerate that for a minute. So That's why I feel like we shouldn't either, because if something requires a particular operating system, then why use it? Everything else is cross-platform. Um, I can get on a rant about that, but I'll probably stop. But um, unfortunately, if you do have to deal with that, um, I'm sorry if you are forced to use something you'd rather not use. But then again, light's at the end of the tunnel, because I'm sure that's you know not going to happen for too much longer the way things are going. Yes. Um, so that was the other one that's kind of the counterpart to that. Someone had said in the comments here, and it's not something I validated, but if you s- store keys, they're potentially available if you're on a shared computer, stored temporarily in uh, memory. So, yeah, that's something to consider with any of these uh, on there. So, yeah, that's um, saving passwords in any of these. Uh, use at your own risk. Make sure that they're vetted yep. well, things like that. Um, probably the last one I have mentioned for here, and I knew people would ask about it, and I haven't used it, but I've oddly seen people building this in uh, and saying they use it commercially, which I'm not personally comfortable with. 
but uh, it's Mesh Central. I it, It's become popular. It's been around for a little while. I believe it was started by some internal IT people, but nonetheless, it's another remote access tool that gives you nice central management to be able to remote into systems. It was built more alike to the tool I mentioned that we use, which is the ConnectWise Control slash Green Connect tool, commercial tool. It seems to be following along those design patterns, but it is not a commercial product. It is, uh, is it open? It's under a, I believe, uh, BSD license, it says on here under the downloads. So yeah, interesting, it run, it's built on top of Node.js, if I'm not mistaken on there. But uh, it looks pretty slick. I know a lot of people speak fondly of it. So it, you know, it's another one to throw in your tool chest here for remote access, though. But it's not one yep. I've uh, particularly uh, used. I've just had I've seen a lot of people. It comes up a lot of discussions in the um, business world uh, where, uh, like I said, a shocking number of people have told me that they're using it commercially. And I'm like, well, cool. <laughs> yep. um, I don't know. Well, someone, there's, they're using someone's commented here that they're using uh, it's free by Intel. They're using some of Intel's technology, but I'm not clear how they wrap the security all around it. And clicking around their site didn't really tell me much in terms of uh, any security details. But as I said at the beginning, that's not something we're here to really vet. That's something kind of um, you need to really think about before deploying any of these tools. Absolutely. You have to, you know, we use the technology. We don't develop it. So right. if we developed it, we would know everything about the ins and outs of how every single instruction goes through the CPU. But um, yeah, we, yeah, just look at it and make a decision for yourself. If it fits your use case, one, and two, uh, don't deploy it until you know that uh, they're taking security very seriously. Yeah. Now, I will admit, one, it's very actively developed. And two, and a, a common friend of me and Jay, uh, Miss. Uh, Mesh Central does have a CrowdSec bouncer integration. So if you have it public facing, uh, there is the ability to integrate a CrowdSec bouncer for it. So yep. that's uh, any of these, actually, if you're doing public facing things, having um, CrowdSec bouncer on public firewalls is great. Uh, I believe we've done an episode uh, of Home Lab. We talked about CrowdSec, but individually, me and Jay yeah. have our own videos on this, on the CrowdSec uh, topic. We still uh, highly support that project, really like it. It's uh, and where it's going. Yeah, yeah, when in doubt, just uh, recall my uh, get smart analogy, because each one of those doors that Maxwell mm -hmm. Smart walks through um, can, is, is basically an equivalent to some kind of protection that you have in front of your um, valued thing. And that's just the way to do it. Yep. So I did see that in an announcement list. I'm like, it, anything you can do to help uh, bolster your firewall and, you know, known bad actors, not have them uh, coming through. That's that's a good thing. Absolutely. All right. And that's the end of my list for some remote tools. There's a, like I said, there's obviously a ton more out there. Those are just the ones I've taken the time to look at. Some of them mm -hmm. I've experimented, set up a little bit. Obviously, actually, I've done videos on, uh, and you can find some good videos on both our port. Awesome Open Source has a good R port and Rust test video. Uh, our friend Christian with that uh, The Digital Life has a good video on teleport. Uh, actually, more than one of them to break down some of the more intricate use cases for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know what? Honorable mention putty for SSH. I, I don't even think oh, we need boy. to mention that one. Putty's been around since the nineties, I believe uh, probably the first time yeah. I encountered it. So putty's been around forever. So we'll throw it out there. It, it putty's more of just a tool to use um, for the connections, but with windows subsystem for Linux and you being able to put SSH keys in there, that's even with my internal text, I've been pushing them towards that. Just use SSH load windows subsystem for Linux and, 
uh, put it in there. You're just using normal SSH at that time without having to do it. I mean, it's not right. that hard to use um, keys and putty, but yeah. there's some trickiness to it versus the videos that me and Jay have done on SSH key management work pretty much identical when you're doing Windows subsystem for Linux because it's just Linux inside of Windows. I completely agree. I mean, Putty has at least existed for my entire career. I know that for sure. Um, it's yeah. one of the one of, if not the first I've ever used. But you know, my personal opinion, I really don't like Putty at all. And and the reason is because they decide to have their own system for managing SSH keys, and there's yeah. never a reason to do that. There's no good reason for that. And I was hoping they would give up on that, but I think they they're shooting themselves in the foot at the end of the day because you know, like you said, we have you know w, WSL. You can get an actual Linux shell with actual SSH. Not that Putty isn't actual SSH because it's right. using the same protocol, but it's they just wrap so many unnecessary things around it. Now, it used to be the case that it was the best solution for Windows. Oh, yeah. And it has been for so long. And I, I also remember SigWin being used around the same time to get some uh, GNU apps running on your Windows desktop. But now that we have WSL, I feel like, if you're a Windows user and that's your platform for your computer, then WSL is probably just the way to go. Nope. January of 8th of 1999, 23 years ago, was an initial release. I, I thought I used it when I, I remember using it in a system in Java. Oddly, back then I was using it to Telnet into different things for administration. Because okay. um, that's, well, Telnet was really common back in when I started my tech career in 1995. So... <laughs> Oh, yeah. So that means it's like two or three years older than my career in Linux, I think, because I think it was around 2002-ish where I started. Yeah. So it's just, it's been around a while. So I think every, yeah. hopefully everybody knows about it. So I think they do. <laughs> and it's, um, I feel like it's great that Windows has a uh, terminal built in because oh, yeah. every operating system has had that for countless years and Windows was the one that didn't. I mean, it had a had PowerShell, Command Prompt, sure, but an actual terminal. Now they have a their Windows terminal is just light years ahead of whatever they've had before. Mm. And you know, even though I'm not a Windows person myself, I'll, I'll still give them credit where it's due. I think they did a good job developing that. It's certainly a lot better than a lot of the other solutions. But then again, I feel like we Linux users get the short end of the stick on most things, but Windows got the short end of the stick for longer when it comes to, you know, terminal tools, because they're pushing PowerShell, which, you know, is still a thing. Don't get me wrong, but now that's built into the Windows terminal as well. So um, you can literally switch your shell right there in the app. So yeah, if you are using Windows, then WSL probably is the best SSH client that you can possibly get. Yeah. Uh, ooh, actually, someone's going to bring this up. So now we're going to be slightly off topic, but I think it's worth bringing it up. Mm -hmm. Um. Was it called Hyper Terminal? I, yes. Hillgrave Technologies Hyper Terminal. Uh, that was one of the original terminal stuff that used back in the early days of Windows. Now, oh. fun fact Hillgrave is still over because I found their website uh, and they still list the same address. They're over in Monroe, Michigan. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, they're actually right by us. Um, and they sold, they, that was one of their, what brought them into success was selling Hyper Terminal uh, to, Microsoft and it was I always thought it was cool mm -hmm. forever ago because I'm like hey these people are local because I've always lived in a greater Detroit area so they're all of about half an hour from my house <laughs> you know now that you mentioned it, I might have used that actually when I was in college 
and uh, learning Unix for the first time. I'm not sure why that's something about that stands in memory. I think well, I might have used pretty much like if you had a Windows computer, use Hypertron. That's how you would connect. Uh, frequently was popular for connecting to BBSs as well because it had the dialer stuff built in. Hmm. Yeah, so, I think I might have used it. I'd probably just need to. We all did. For a screenshot. Was a rite of probably, oh yeah, that one. Yeah, <laughs> it was a rite of passage in our in our tech history. If you if you're in the '90s and you use Windows computers, I think it started in Windows uh, 3.1. I think we had it first. I know it was in Windows 95, but I think it was uh, also in there. Someone can correct me on that one. I'm trying to remember when it started. It's a little fuzzy, remembering all that back. So. <laughs> it really is like I like the only thing that stands to memory for me is I haven't changed a bit because when I was studying Unix for the first time before I even learned Linux and then I figured out how to change the terminal colors and customize it. I was just showing everybody in the room. Look what I did to my terminal. It's it's green on blue instead of, you know, fun times. Yeah. Yep, and probably sure. around the same time period, I might have been using hyper terminal. Um, so, yeah, Windows XP. Actually, now, wouldn't it be 3.11? Because wasn't Windows 3.11 the one that added networking to 3.1? Just curious. I think that I don't know. Yeah, the 3.11 was the one that got networking on there. I don't know how far in that went. Like, if there's some trace of networking that Hyperterminal could connect to, Wait, or if you literally had to be 3.11. Windows 95 is where it started. So, oh, okay. So it isn't even a factor then. Yep. It, yeah. So hmm. someone said 3.1 had it. Um, Windows 95 definitely had it. So, all right. Now we're off topic. And we we, thought, we talked about some old history. Uh, links yep. will be in the description for all the different tools we talked about. I don't know which one's the right one for you, but hey, you got some more learning to do and uh, we're help, happy to help you along on that journey. Thanks for joining us and looking forward yep. to the next episode. See you later. All right. Thanks.